السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده و نصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما باب نمبر 30 Before that the previous hadith that we learned hadith number 93 in which the chapter heading is باب من بركه على ركبتيه عند الامام او المحدث on kneeling before an imam or hadith teacher. Muhaddis, hmm? the one who is narrating hadith. What does this show to us? Kneeling before. What does this position show? Hmm? Respect and humility. And we see that Umar anhu he sat in that manner before the Prophet ﷺ when he apologized to him on behalf of everybody. So it is a posture in which a lot of respect is being shown. It does not mean that a person is prostrating to the other. No. Because we have been forbidden from doing that. And we know that standing up is also something that is not liked. Even the Prophet ﷺ did not like that for himself, that people should stand up when he comes. However, when it comes to a majlis of ilm, when it comes to a gathering of knowledge, then we see that over there, a person must display respect in the way that he sits as well, in the way that he carries himself as well. Because a majlis of ilm, especially that of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that of this deen, is not something that's very insignificant. No, rather it's something that's very major. It's something that deserves respect. And we see that when Jibreel, when he came to the Prophet ﷺ in the form of a human being and he asked him questions, how did he come and sit before him? In a very humble manner, right? Just as we sit in tashahud, right? That shows that a person is very attentive, he's very alert, and he is ready to receive whatever is being given. And this is just like in salah, when we're praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how are we supposed to keep ourselves? We are not allowed to talk. We're not allowed to move extra, unnecessarily. Similarly, when it comes to sitting in a majlis of ilm, there also we are to limit our movements. Similarly, we are to limit our conversations with other people. We shouldn't be talking at that time. Similarly, we should be very alert and mindful. And our posture in the way we sit should also be very respectful. Because the fact is that this respect is being shown to who? This respect is being shown to who? Huh? When a person is sitting respectfully in a gathering of knowledge, who is he actually showing respect to? To their ilm. And in fact, why should a person show respect to ilm? Because it is out of respect for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this ilm, this is deen. And this deen is whose? It is Allah's. So when a person is sitting in such a gathering, he should be respectful in the way he sits, not for the sake of the teacher, not for the sake of other people, but for the sake of who? The one who has revealed this religion. And the fact is that until and unless a person shows adab, until a person shows respect, if he does not show respect, he is not going to receive anything. He will not be able to absorb anything. And remember this, no matter which gathering you are sitting in, no matter which gathering it is, but please be respectful over there, not for the sake of other people, but for the sake of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And be mindful that Allah is watching us. And be mindful that this deen, this ilm can only come to a person if Allah gives it to him. مَن يُؤْتَ الْحِكْمَةَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُ الْعِلْمَ This ilm is a gift, is an ata of Allah, and it's not given to those who are not respectful. It is given to those who show eagerness, who show seriousness, who have respect. Because this deen is not cheap. It is something that's very valuable. It's a great blessing. And great blessings are only given to those who are worthy and deserving. So if we want to retain any knowledge, then we must, we must show adab. Let's continue. Bab man a'ad al-haditha thalathan liyufhama anhu. Man a'ada, the one who repeated al-haditha, the speech, the address, or the hadith, salasan three times. Why? Liyufhama anhu, so that it may be understood. What he has said may be understood. Over here, hadith does not mean the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. However, it means speech, address. As we know that this kitab is kitabul ilm, and in this kitab we learn about the etiquettes of learning and also the etiquettes of teaching. The etiquettes of acquiring and also the etiquette of passing on knowledge. When a person is passing on knowledge, when a person is telling others about something, 
then wherever something important is being mentioned, then he may repeat it if it is necessary. Because when people are listening to you, it's quite possible that they did not understand what you said. Why? Because it was not as clear. Similarly, it's also possible that they got distracted or they could not keep up with your speed. So they missed out on something. Now, if the other person did not understand or he missed out or he did not realize the importance of what you said, so should that knowledge be ignored? Should it be left out? No. It should be repeated. It should be repeated. Why? So that the other person may grasp it, so that he may retain it, so that he may understand it. However, repetition should be done in moderation because too much repetition gets a little boring. And we see the best example in the way of the Prophet ﷺ, that how he repeated sometimes three times, sometimes less than that, and sometimes more than that, wherever the need was. فَقَالَ So he said, over here Imam Bukhari is quoting a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that Allah وَقَوْلُ الزُّورِ Allah unquestionably وَقَوْلُ الزُّورِ And the false statement, meaning a lie, meaning do not tell lies. فَمَا زَالَ يُكَرِّرُهَا So he did not Stop, meaning he continued repeating it. Yukarriruha, he was repeating it. Meaning he continued to repeat it. And if you remember this hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said this, the people were saying that, you know, they wished that he would stop because he said it so many times. So he repeated it not twice, not thrice, but many, many times. وَقَالَ ابن عمر And Ibn Umar anhu said, قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ The Prophet ﷺ said, هَلْ بَلَّغْتُ Have I conveyed? ثَلَاثًا Three times. He said this how many times? Three times. So important matters, important things may be repeated up to three times and sometimes even more as we see. Some things he said three times and some things he said more than that. حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدَةُ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الصَّمَدِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنِ الْمُسَنَّى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُمَامَةُ ابْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ عَنْ أَنَسٍ عَنِ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ That أَنَّهُ indeed he كَانَ he used to إِذَا سَلَّمَ When he said salam, when he greeted the Prophet وسلم, his habit was that when he would greet سَلَّمَ he would greet ثَلَاثًا three times. This is referring to istidhan. Remember the rule of istidhan? That when you go up to somebody's door and when you knock and you say salam, you say once, there's no answer. You say a second time, there's no answer. You say a third time. If you get an answer and you're invited, go in. But if not, then what are you supposed to do? Go back. So when he would greet somebody, he would greet them how many times? Three times. This does not mean that on every occasion, if ever he said salam to somebody, he said assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum. No. This is in the context of istidhan. وَإِذَا تَكَلَّمَ And when he spoke, بِكَلِمَةٍ A statement, أَعَادَهَا He repeated it ثَلَاثًا Three times. And when he uttered a statement, when he said something important, he would say it how many times? Three times. Let's look at the next hadith. حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدَةُ بْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الصَّمَدِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ الْمُسَنَّى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُمَامَةُ بْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ عَنْ أَنَسٍ عَنْ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَنَّهُ كَانَ That indeed he was, meaning it was his habit, إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ That when he spoke, بِكَلِمَةٍ with a statement, أَعَادَهَا He repeated it ثلاثًا, three times. حَتَّى until تُفْهَمَ عَنْهُ it was understood from him. Meaning until that statement was understood. I want you to underline this part. That when he spoke a statement, when he said something, he would repeat it three times, anhu. This was the objective, this was the goal, this was the purpose of repetition. That it should be understood. وَإِذَا And when أَتَى عَلَى قَوْمٍ And when he came upon a people, meaning when he came to their place, فَسَلَّمَ عَلَيْهِمْ Then he greeted on them. سَلَّمَ He greeted عَلَيْهِمْ upon them. ثَلَاثًا Three times. So when he came to a people, meaning to their house, then what would he do? He would greet them three times. Let's look at the following hadith as well. حَدَّثَنَا مُسَدَّدٌ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ عَوَانَةَ عَنْ أَبِي بِشْرٍ عَنْ يُوسُفَ بْنِ مَاهَكْ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَمْرٍ قَالَ He said, تَخَلَّفَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ the Prophet ﷺ, he stayed behind in a journey. Safarnahu, we traveled it 
meaning all of them were traveling together. So the Prophet ﷺ, he stayed behind the rest of the people. فَأَدْرَكَنَا And then he caught up with us. And when he caught up with us, وَقَدْ While in fact, أَرْهَقَنَا الصَّلَاةُ The salah was getting difficult upon us, meaning we were about to miss it. We have studied this hadith before. صَلَاةَ الْعَصْرِ It was a salah of Asr. وَنَحْنُ And we, نَتَوَضَّ We were performing wudu. فَجَعَلْنَا So we were doing, that we were putting, not literally putting, but we were نَمْسَحُ We were wiping عَلَىٰ أَرْجُلِنَا Upon our feet. So instead of washing the feet, what were they doing? Wiping the feet. In haste. فَنَادَ So he called out بِأَعْلَى With loudest صَوْتِهِ His voice وَيْلٌ لِلْأَعْقَابِ مِنَ النَّارِ To what? The ankles from what? From the fire. مَرَّتَيْنِ Two times. أَوْ ثَلَاثًا Or three times. All of these ahadiths, what do they show to us? That the way of the Prophet ﷺ, his hadi, his way was that when he said something important or something that may be difficult to understand, something that may be difficult to grasp by the listener, how many times did he repeat it? Up to three times or even more. Sometimes three and sometimes even more than that. For istidhan, why did he say up to three times? Because the other did not grasp, they did not listen, they did not hear, they missed out on what he said. So we see that there are primarily two reasons for repetition. What are they? First of all, to show importance. To show importance, to show the ahmiya. Like for example, in these ahadiths, Where do we learn that he repeated three times for the purpose of showing importance? When he said to them loudly that, وَيْلُ لِلْأَعْقَابِ مِنَ النَّارِ Right? And he said that three times. Secondly, we also see that he repeated for, to show importance from where? In these ahadiths. أَلَّا وَقَوْلُ الزُّورِ To show the importance that how terrible it is to lie. He repeated that many, many times. And another evidence that the Prophet ﷺ repeated three times or more to show importance of what he was saying. هَلْ بَلَّغْتُ هَلْ بَلَّغْتُ Have I conveyed? Why did he repeat that so many times? Was it not clear to the people? Of course they understood. But why did he repeat? To show them the importance that yes, he definitely, definitely conveyed everything. So there are three evidences that we see over here that prove that the Prophet ﷺ repeated to show the importance of what he was saying. Secondly, he repeated for what purpose? To make the listener understand. To make the listener grasp what he said in case the listener missed it or he misunderstood it. So many times when he spoke something, he said it how many times? Three times. So there are two reasons. First is to show importance and secondly, to make the other understand. And we see that the number three is something that's very common for many words, for many statements, as well as many actions in our religion. For example, when we are in Rukur, we say, Subhana Rabbil Azim, a minimum of how many times? Three times. When it comes to istidhan, how many times are we allowed to seek permission? Three times. Similarly, actions, three times. Like for example, in wudu, we wash our hands or our face or our arms, our feet, how many times? Three times. However, this does not mean that number three is an obligation. It doesn't mean that it's an obligation. So, for example, in this context, when it comes to saying something important, or when it comes to explaining something, it's not mandatory that you repeat everything three times. It's not mandatory. You may, but it's not mandatory. So, this shows to us that a person may repeat up to three times and even more. If a person has said something and if it's been understood by saying it only once, is it necessary to repeat three times? No. Then saying once is also sufficient. If a person has said something three times but still people don't get it, can he repeat more than that? Of course he can. So it's not the number three but rather the objective, the purpose. What's the purpose? So if it takes one time, two times, three times, more than that, Whatever it takes. The point is to get the message across. And this is what we see in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ as well. Next bab. Bab ta'aleem al-rajuli. Teaching of the man, amatahu, 
his slave woman wa ahlahu and his family a man teaching his slave woman and his family teaching in general is something that's very good however teaching certain individuals is more rewardable is something that brings a person more reward teaching in general is very good but if you teach certain individuals it can get you a lot of reward why do you think so like for example when you give sadaqa to anybody is good but sadaqa to a relative is that more reward why okay because there's silatul rahim and secondly the reward of sadaqa so similarly if a person teaches those who are under him those who are close to him those whom he are responsible for he will get double reward for that it is more rewardable and we see that a person must teach his family as well as dependents meaning all those people who are dependent on him those people who depend on you whether it is family or servants or those who work under you in any way they must not just receive only physical nutrition and benefit from you but also mental emotional spiritual nourishment because if you look at the human body the human being has a small stomach and a big brain given the body size if you compare the human body to any other creature you will see that within those creatures the stomachs are larger and the brains are smaller but the human body has a smaller stomach for its size and a bigger brain for its size and this is a scientific fact i just learned about it recently and it amazed me for other creatures what's their goal eat reproduce survive and then die but for human beings our goal is not to eat allah did not give us larger stomachs but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us bigger brains for our body size why because we don't just need to eat but we need to grow mentally and spiritually so if people who are under you who are with you are only receiving physical nutrition from you physical benefit from you bodily nutrition from you and they're not getting any brain food then your taking care of them is deficient your looking after them is incomplete you're not giving them their haq so when it comes to giving something to your children we should not just be concerned about feeding them about putting something into their stomachs but we should be concerned about putting something in their brains as well because if they eat and they grow physically but they're not spiritually and mentally satisfied then they will never be happy they will never be happy and if a person has a physical able body but nothing to occupy his mind nothing good to occupy his mind then what will he do with that body what will he do with it and think about it a person whom you feed you look after you take care of their body okay they grow eventually their body is going to come to an end isn't it so but what is going to remain their actions their actions are going to remain their body is going to be put in the grave and their actions are going to continue with them they're going to remain with them so if we're only concerned about their bodies and not their actions then there's a problem So when we're concerned about the physical health, physical well-being of our dependents, we should also be very much concerned about the mental and spiritual well-being of our dependents, of those who are with us. So we see in this hadith that a man teaching who his slave girl, slave girl, and who his family. This is something that's very very important. أخبرنا محمد هو ابن سلام حدثنا المحاربي قال حدثنا صالح بن حيان قال قال عامر الشعبي حدثني ابو برده عن ابيه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ثلاثه three people لهم for them اجراني double reward there are three types of people who will get double reward who first of all رجل a man من اهل الكتاب from among the people of the book especially from among who from among the people of the book amana he believed binabihi in his prophet wa amana and he believed bi muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wasallam in muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam why will he have double reward one for believing in his prophet and the second for believing in muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam wal abdu and secondly wal abdu and the slave al mamluk the one who is owned 
a slave ida when adda he gives he pays haqq allahi the right of allah wa haqqa and right mawalihi his owners his masters the slave who gives the haqq of allah and he also gives the haqq of his master that person will have double reward why because he's not falling short in his duty sometimes it happens that we feel that just because we have a family just because we are mothers it's okay if we fall short in our duty to allah or we think that just because we have to pray it's okay that our children are hungry no it's necessary that we fulfill the haq of allah as well as the haq of those who are whom we are responsible for whom we are to take care of whom we are to obey both are necessary neither should be compromised and when a person does this he will have double reward and thirdly warajulun and a man kanat indahu he had amatun a slave woman faadabaha so he taught her good manners faahsana and then he did good taadibaha in teaching her good manners why do you think good manners are mentioned teaching good manners to who a slave it will change their life completely okay why do you think it's necessary to teach them adab what kind of adab is it by the way which adab huh okay deen religious but later on wa allamaha fa ahsana ta'limaha knowledge is also mentioned what kind of adab is this manners good manners huh have you ever seen have you ever come across people who have lived their lives as servants so what kind of manners do they have what kind of etiquette do they observe Many times it happens that they are very harsh in their nature, very abrupt. Why? Because they have never been treated respectfully. They have never been spoken with in a gentle manner. So whenever they speak, they speak coarsely. They answer back. They don't realize that it's not appropriate to speak in this manner. What else is in their manners? Yes. That many times it happens that they are not aware of how to keep themselves clean. they're not as aware of you know good hygiene i remember this lady was once telling me that a young girl had come to work in her house but when she came she wasn't dressed properly she didn't know how to even wash herself properly so she taught her this is how you take a bath she literally taught her this is how you wash your hair this is how you wash your body this is how you clean yourself she had no idea whatsoever why she was never taught never taught and especially we think about it in this hadith what is mentioned slave what's the life of a slave being sold from one master to the other so if a person does not have a place to live in he's not cultured his manners are not developed nobody has done his tarbiya so adabaha instead of saying oh my god how dirty oh my god she didn't even wash her hands before she did such and such You know sometimes we complain that people don't know about hygiene people don't know how to take care of themselves but it's quite possible they don't even know they have no idea so fa adabaha wa fa ahsana ta'dibaha and he would did very good in teaching her good manners how to speak how to carry themselves how to wear decent clothes how to eat even how to sit properly even these things they don't know many times so fa ahsana ta'dibaha so that her level is very similar to the level of the other people in the society and then didn't just teach her good manners how to dress up how to you know talk properly how to carry herself properly but also wa'allamaha and also taught her fa ahsana ta'limaha and he did very good in teaching her what kind of ta'lim is this what kind of knowledge is this obviously the knowledge of the deen the knowledge of the deen summa then artaqaha he freed her he didn't sell her but he freed her if he sold her he would get a lot of money but he did not sell her rather what did he do he freed her and then he didn't just free her but fatazawwajaha he also married her falahu ajran so for him is double reward for him is double reward why for teaching her for freeing her and then also for marrying her summa qala amirun then amir said one of the narrators that a'tainakaha 
we have given it to you, meaning this hadith to you, بِغَيْرِ شَيْءٍ for no price. We have given this hadith to you for free. قَدْ كَانَ يُرْكَبُ In fact, before, كَانَ يُرْكَبُ People would have to travel, they would have to ride. Fima concerning that which dunaha is lesser than this. Meaning people would have to travel in order to acquire knowledge that was much lesser than this hadith. And they would have to travel all the way ilal Madina to Medina. There was a time when people had to travel all the way to Medina in order to get knowledge that was much less in quantity compared to this hadith that I've taught you. And you just got it for free. Let's look at the hadith. We see in this hadith that three people will get double reward. But remember that three over here does not mean that it's only these three types of people. This is not limited to only these three types. In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned only three types. However, from other hadith, we learn that there are other people as well, because of their actions, they will get double reward. For example, we learned that once the Prophet ﷺ sent some people on a journey, and while they were traveling, the time of salah came in and they could not find water. So they just performed tayammum and they performed the salah. But afterwards, they found water. It was still the time of salah. So one of them, he performed wudu and he repeated the salah. And the other person did not. Why? Because he had done tayammum and he had performed salah. One person repeated with wudu and the other person did not. So both of them, when they met the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said to the person who had repeated the salah that you have double reward. Hmm? And the one who did not repeat the salah, he said, قَدْ أَصَبْتَ sunnah, Meaning you did the right thing. However, for the other person, he got double reward. Why? For his ijtihad. But the other person who did not repeat the salah, he was right in his action. This is exactly what we're supposed to do. When you don't find water, you just perform tayammum and you perform the salah. And when you find water, you don't have to repeat your salah. So in that hadith, we learned that, that another person also got double reward. Similarly, we learned that a person who finds it difficult to recite the Qur'an, he also gets double reward for his more effort, for his extra effort. So it's not just these three types of people, but there are others as well. Amongst those who get double reward are, first of all, a person from among the Ahlul Kitab who believed in his Prophet and also in Muhammad wasallam. And this is just like Najashi or Abdullah ibn Salam, that they were either Christian or Jewish before and they also accepted Islam. Secondly, a slave who is an obedient servant to Allah and he is also an obedient servant to his master. That a person realizes what his responsibilities are, what his duties are, and he puts in his maximum effort to fulfill all of his duties. Many times it happens in life when we have too much to do. We have to take care of ourselves, we have to take care of our deen, we have to take care of our families, our children, and there's too many people demanding from us at the same time. Too many things demanding from us at the same time. What do you have to do in order to fulfill all of your duties? What do you have to do? Can you live a life of ease and convenience? You can't. Where do you cut off from? From your sleep, isn't it? From your free time, from your trips to the mall, from your trips to your friend's place, right? An evening out with your friend. You have to cut out on all of these extra things, basically on your me time, in order to give the haqq of Allah and in order to give the haqq of others. And sometimes we feel that it's too much, that's it, we can't handle it anymore. Something has to stop, something has to go. But we see that nothing can go. You can't cut corners from anywhere. You have to do everything. So at that time, remember that for such a person, Allah has double reward. Why? Because the effort is more, the struggle is more. So the reward is also more. Never look at other people who have it very easy. And say that, oh, you know how lucky, I wish I was also like that. لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. So you have been given the opportunity to get double reward. So don't miss out on it. Don't waste that double reward by complaints and by being impatient and ungrateful and having a complaining attitude. No. Hold on. And Allah will create ease. Things will get easy. But don't give up. And hope for Double reward. Because a person will get reward when he has sabr and when he has ihtisab. 
when a person is patient and when he looks forward, when he expects reward from Allah. So when you do that, inshallah you will get double reward. And thirdly, double reward for who? The person who teaches ilm as well as adab. To who? To his slave woman. Ilm as well as adab. What does it show? That a person must not only give ilm and he must not only give adab. Both are necessary. When it comes to teaching your family especially, because you're responsible for teaching your children. So when it comes to your family, ilm alone is not sufficient. Adab is also necessary. So for example, we shouldn't just be focused on teaching them, uh, you know, for instance, the memorization of the entire Qur'an, or memorization of parts of the Qur'an, or certain adhkar or certain du'as. Definitely that should be a focus, but at the same time, adab as well. Good manners as well. How to speak before others. How to eat properly, how to sit properly, how to talk properly. And we see that a major part of our deen is what? Adab. Isn't it so? From tahara, to eating, to sleeping, to walking. Just right now, what were you learning? Waqdud min sautik. And walk moderately. So all of this is what? Adab. And this is necessary. So adab as well as ilm. Ilm and tarbiyah. And then the person, he doesn't just teach her and train her, but rather he frees her and then also marries her. When he marries her, then he is truly elevating her status in the society. Because even if she is learned, even if she is cultured, still people will not give that much respect to her. Why? Because she was once upon a time a slave. But if she is married then what will happen? Then what will happen? People will accept her eventually. It is only then that her status will be recognized in the society. So this man's ihsan upon this woman is a lot. So this is why he will have double reward. If somebody has arranged for you to study, that they cannot teach you themselves, but they have encouraged you and they have sent to you and they have supported you to go and learn, do they get this reward? Of course, because, you know, man jahaza, right, the one who prepares a mujahid for him is also that reward. So if your, for example, husband or your parents are sending you here and they are suffering in some way or the other, so inshallah, for them is reward. So you could definitely share this hadith with them. That we see that one of the narrators, he said that I have given this hadith to you for free. And there was a time when people would have to travel all the way to Medina to get knowledge of Something that he wasn't, was even less than this. So people of the past definitely they had to endure a lot of difficulty in order to acquire knowledge. And this is the reason why they valued it so much. But we, it has come to us easy and it goes away from us easily as well, unfortunately. So a person has to put in effort in order to gain knowledge. And when Allah has made it so easy, then we should definitely put in more effort to know it better, to memorize it better, to retain it better, to understand it better. You know, if one thing has been made easy for you, then you should definitely put in effort to extra. That we see that uh, the man who freed the slave woman, he also marries her. But one of the things that will definitely allow him to marry her are what? Her adab and her ilm. So, you know, a woman may focus a lot on beautifying her body and everything, but if a girl does not have good manners and if she does not have ilm, that we see that adab comes first and then comes ilm. Basic etiquette, basic manners, they are necessary. Because only when a person has good adab, then he will take knowledge seriously as well. Then he will remember and then he will apply. But if a person does not have good adab, then he will not value knowledge. That Generally it happens that when a person is working for another, he thinks that it's a useless thing to do. It's a waste of his life and energy and work and efforts. But we see that when a person fulfills his duty to his boss, right? even for that, he gets reward. Even if that action means cleaning and mopping the floor and ironing clothes, whatever. Whatever it is, but you are fulfilling your duty. Amana, right? So you're fulfilling your duty, so for that, you will have reward, inshallah. That learn adab first and then ring. Bab, رِضَةِ الْإِمَامِ النِّسَاءَ وَتَعْلِيمِهِنَّ what does ridha mean? Admonition, advice. Of who? Of al-imam. Of the imam, of the leader. To who? 
النِّسَاء to the women in particular وَتَعْلِيمِهِنَّ and teaching them what does it show? that an imam or you can say a male teacher a male instructor may also teach who? النِّسَاء meaning only women he can also hold a sister's only class or a lecture or whatever it is in other words a man may teach women a man may teach men he may teach men and women together and he may also teach women alone and we learn about this in the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as well because some people they complain they object that why is it that you know, for example in a women's institute male instructors are coming and teaching why the Prophet ﷺ also did that. If a male instructor has more knowledge and he is able to teach better, then why not avail from that opportunity? It's not necessary that men be present in that gathering as well. And we see that when it comes to a male teacher teaching women only, then what is the proper etiquette? Then what rules must be observed? Should there be a screen in the middle preventing the teacher from looking at the students and the students from looking at the teacher? Because some people set that as a condition. No. What are the rules that Allah has taught us in His book? When it comes to interacting with the opposite gender, then what are the rules? So for example, first of all, comes lowering the gaze, meaning not staring, looking unnecessarily. This does not mean that the teacher is not allowed to look at the students or the students are not allowed to look at the teacher. Of course. But not like looking continuously or looking with, uh, you can say, because يَغْضُضْنَ min أَبْصَارِهِنَّ right? Min means some of their gazes, meaning those which are not appropriate. So for example, if there is a young male teacher, male instructor in front of us, then what should we do? Of course, you know, limit our glances at him or limit our our stare, okay, our gaze. And similarly, the teacher should also do the same thing. So first of all, the gaze. Secondly, secondly, what's the rule? Because this will happen with us, right? So we should know the proper etiquette. So for example, when we're sitting in that class, we should make sure that we are dressed appropriately. So for example, if a person is wearing a very bright colored shirt or whatever it is, and the teacher can see it, it's standing out, then that is not quite appropriate. I remember once a male instructor came and one of the sisters was wearing a pink sweater. And just as an example, he mentioned pink sweater because it was right in his face. It was right in his face. So we should be careful about that. Just as when we are in front of you know, a man, then what are we supposed to do? Not do tabarruj, right? So similarly, even when it's a classroom, we should refrain from that tabarruj because it will be a distraction for the teacher and also for the students. Thirdly, sitting properly. Sitting properly is extremely important. It would be extremely inappropriate if we sat, for example, on a chair with our legs up because first of all, it's disrespectful to the teacher. This is not how we sit in a gathering of ilm. We learned earlier that how Umar anhu was sitting, kneeling with humility in a very humble posture. Similarly, when we're sitting, not like, you know, resting our chins and our elbows on our hands and our elbows, you know, reclining on the table as if we're sleeping, dozing away. You know, a female teacher may point you out and may correct you, but a male teacher would be a bit hesitant to do that. So sitting properly, sitting modestly as well, sitting alert, when we are giving an answer or when we are asking a question, when we are giving a comment, when we are trying to clarify something, then our words and our style should be very, very appropriate. The choice of words and secondly, in the style, in the manner that we speak should also be very, very appropriate. It should not come across as, as disrespectful or way too frank okay, or as if you're talking to somebody who's lesser than you or talking to somebody who's of your age, or talking to somebody who's of the same gender, you know, very relaxing, in a very casual manner. No. We should maintain the proper adab. And if there is a difference of opinion, then refrain from argument. And also if, for example, if the teacher, you know, says something that's a little funny, or gives a joke, or, you know, something like that, then how should we laugh? Chuckling away? Huh? Giggling? How should we laugh? Huh? We are allowed to laugh, okay? But we should control our laughter, okay? We should control our laughter. And these rules, remember, that this is not just when sitting in front of a male teacher, but also when interacting with any man, okay? We have learned in the Quran, فَلَا تَخْضَعْنَ بِالْقَوْلِ 
So whether we are speaking to somebody who's selling something to us at a store or somebody who's working with us or could be a boss at work, whatever, even a neighbor, anytime when we come across men, remember the rules. Okay, I'm not saying that just don't say anything and keep silent and even if there's something uh, light humor, don't respond at all. No, be normal, but don't become extra. Okay, don't forget modesty. Right, that just because they're your teacher, just because they taught something, doesn't mean that we become a little too frank with them, texting them and emailing them on every little thing. I mean, of course, when it comes to asking questions, definitely. When it comes to sharing something beneficial, of course. When it comes to thanking them or congratulating them on or whatever, or pass your condolence, that's of course necessary. But like I said, don't be extra. <laughs> okay, only that which is necessary and required in a manner that is appropriate. So anyway, we see that the Prophet ﷺ also taught only women. There were times when he addressed only women. So this shows that it is permissible for a man to teach women only. Okay, let's continue. حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا شعبة عن أيوب قال سمعت عطاء قال سمعت ابن عباس قال he said أشهد I bear witness. عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Upon the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Meaning, I bear witness on him, in other words, that I testify to this fact. I testify to this fact, what I'm saying is not false, it is not untrue, but rather it is definitely true. And basically he said this for the purpose of emphasis. أَشْهَدُ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَوْ قَالَ عَطَاءٌ Or it was عَطَاء who said, أَشْهَدُ عَلَى ابْنِ عَبَّاسٍ That I bear witness on who? Ibn Abbas. So the Rawi, he wasn't sure whether Ibn Abbas said that or it was Ata' who said that. That أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ That the Messenger of Allah صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ خَرَجَ He came out وَمَعَهُ And with him was Bilalun Bilal رَضِي لَهُ عَنْهُ فَظَنَّ So he had thought, meaning the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ had thought that أَنَّهُ that indeed he lam not yusmi'in nisa'a lam yusmi'i he was not made to hear who an nisa'a the women meaning the women he thought that the women were not able to hear him when when he was giving the khutbah this was at the time of Eid when the prophet sallallahu gave the khutbah you can imagine at Eid a lot of people were there and obviously around him or close to him would be who the men and the women would obviously be at a distance. And there were no microphones at that time. So he thought that perhaps the women were not able to hear him. Perhaps they missed out on the khutbah. So look at how concerned he was. So he went and admonished them separately. And he commanded them. With charity. In his wealth. In his admonition, in his address, he commanded them to give charity. فَجَعَلَتْ So she put المرأة, the woman, meaning all the women, they began, تُلْقِي She was putting, she was throwing, القُرْطَ The earring, والخاتم And the ring. The Prophet ﷺ advised them to give charity. And the women right there and then, they began giving what? Their jewelry, their rings and their earrings. Imagine, something that you're wearing, and you take it off and you give it immediately. This is what the women did. وَبِلَالٌ and بِلَالٌ رَضِي لَهُ عَنْهُ يَأْخُذُ He was taking فِيءٍ طَرَفِي Edge, corner. سَوْبِهِ Of his garment. So the shawl that Bilal رضي لَهُ عَنْهُ was wearing, a corner of it he took that and he started putting all the jewelry that the women were giving in that corner. Why? Because he was collecting it. He made it like a pouch, like a bag. Okay, to make sure that nothing was dropped or nothing got lost. وَقَالَ إِسْمَعِيلٌ and Ismail said عن أيوب عن أطاء وقال عن ابن عباس أشهد على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. So he makes it clear that no, it was Ibn Abbas who said that أشهد على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. It was not عطاء who said أشهد على ابن عباس. What do we see in this hadith? That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, when he thought that the women missed out in the khutbah, when they did not hear, when they did not listen to the khutbah, he went and he addressed them separately. He had a sister's only session. Right? He addressed them separately. Why? Because they also deserve to learn. 
they also deserve to to hear the Prophet ﷺ. We learn that it's not an obligation upon women as it is upon men to acquire, to teach, to spread knowledge. Definitely it's an obligation upon who? The men. And we see that the men, they are to learn, they are to spread. But when it comes to women, definitely they are to learn, but not to the same extent as the men are required to. We learn in the Qur'an that it's the men who are the qawwamun ala nisa, right? Who is the qawwam? The one who maintains the physical things, the money, the expenditures? No. We learn that qawwam is also the one who teaches. So primarily, it's the responsibility of who? The men. But the women, they have not been completely excluded. No, they must also learn, but it's not really an obligation upon them as it is upon the men. Why? Because the women, they're busy in what? In what? In looking after their families and raising children. Generally, this is what women are engaged in. And men are more free in that sense. So, this is why the women are not obligated as the men are. However, the women need to hear, listen to something that will, you know, renew, refresh their iman, that will, you know, encourage them to do good, right? Encourage them to be productive, to be beneficial, to be careful, right? Women also need to hear that. Many times people say that, you know, only men need to learn, women don't need to learn. And sometimes it happens that a woman, as soon as, as she gets married or she has her children, she's just bound to the house. She won't attend any classes, she won't attend any lectures, she won't even go to the Jummah. No, she should not be completely deprived. She also needs to hear, she also needs to learn. She also needs an Iman boost. Because she is the one who's looking after the children and the children are learning from her directly. You might say that, yeah, she learned once upon a time, but she's a human being, she can forget. So we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he made sure that he went and addressed the women. Because yes, he primarily taught the men, but he did not leave out the women. And especially at Eid, we know that at Eid, all women were encouraged to come, even those who were not praying. So it shows that all types of women, whether with children or without children, all must listen to good things every now and then. Because you need that spiritual boost. And we see that how the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded them to give sadaqah. And how much he exhorted, encouraged them to the point that they decided right there and then to give of their own jewelry. A woman's jewelry is very precious to her. But imagine, they were ready to give that immediately. They didn't even, you know, wait to ask their husband or think about it. No, it was theirs and they decided and they gave it. And we also learn in this hadith that women may wear gold jewelry. You're like, why not? Of course. There are some people who say that it is forbidden to wear gold jewelry, even for women. You might hear of this, you might come across this, and you might be a little surprised. Sheikh Al-Bani was of the opinion that even women are not allowed to wear gold jewelry. I'm telling you about this because, alhamdulillah, now your level is a little advanced, and you should be aware of these discussions, because it's quite possible you hear about it and you're like, what? So you should be aware. He was of the opinion, and this was based on some ahadith. But we see that, in general, many ahadith, they show to us that the Prophet ﷺ forbade who from wearing jewelry? Men. And the times when he discouraged women from wearing jewelry was when? When they had not given zakat on it. Right? Like, for example, a time when a woman, you know, her daughter was wearing bracelets of gold, and he said that, would you like that? would be fire. And she said, no way. And the Prophet ﷺ told her to give zakat on it. So the only time when he, in a way, discouraged was when the zakat was not given. So we see that a woman is allowed to wear gold jewelry as long as zakat is given and obviously that she's not displaying it, that it should be covered. And especially this hadith is an evidence. This hadith is an evidence that women can wear gold jewelry because if they weren't wearing it, they wouldn't be giving it. And if it was not allowed for them to wear gold jewelry, the Prophet ﷺ would have told them, before giving sadaqah, to not wear that. It can be, but many scholars, they use this hadith as the evidence. Because, you know, typically women, what would they wear? What kind of jewelry do women typically wear? Gold or silver, right? But majority of the times, what kind of jewelry is it? It's gold, especially married women. I mean, that's what is done. And in the Quran also we learn that, أَوَمَنْ يُنَشَّأُ فِي الْحِلِيَةِ So, jewelry is a part of a woman, and this is something permissible, yeah. Aisha radiallahu anha also taught men 
The question is that men are allowed to teach women. Are women allowed to teach men? Yes, because inshallah we will learn about that in Bukhari. That how Aisha anha, people would come to her and they would ask her questions and she would also answer them and she would also teach them. But obviously over there hijab was maintained and we learned that for the wives of the Prophet ﷺ especially there had to be a hijab right between the men and them. Which is why even when they traveled, they wouldn't travel you know, except in Hawda. Right, that they would be sitting in that. So this is the reason why there was always a screen. And it's always better to have something like that so that there's no you know, wrong feelings in the heart of the other person because all types of people can come and listen and attend. Like for example, if only the voice is put up, for instance, only a lecture is you know available or given, that's different from watching a video. A video, you can see the face of the other person, you can see their expressions, you can see their jewelry, you can see a lot in the woman, right? So hijab should be maintained. And if that's not possible, like for example, if it's in a classroom setting, then a woman must be careful about her hijab. Okay. One more thing that we learn in this hadith is that a woman may give charity from her wealth, her wealth, okay, and she does not need to seek the permission of her husband. Because we see that the women over here, how were they giving sadaqa? Right there and then. They didn't go and come back or give the next day. No. Right there and then. Why? Because that jewelry was whose? Whose was it? It was hers. It was theirs. So when it comes to your things, you have the right to decide concerning them. Many times it happens that a woman is given something in her mahar. And for the rest of her life, she has to do whatever her husband tells her to do with that. This is not right. When a woman has been given something, who does it belong to? Her. But obviously she should be careful in the way that she uses it. Because you don't want to use your things also in a way that your husband would not like and that would create problems in the family. Permission is there, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also given us aql, you know, to act carefully. Alright, we will conclude over here, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu alayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.